On today's episode, we discuss infusing an entrepreneurial spirit into an organization. We talk about learning and developing new skills, and we also hit on customer service. From Engagement, I'm David Millay, and this is Flip the Switch. All right, welcome everyone. This is your first time tuning in to Flip the Switch. We appreciate you guys being here. On this show, we sit down with leaders in customer and employee experience, and we really try to tease out core principles and we apply those insights to the world of sports and entertainment. Now, sometimes we meet with leaders who are innovating within the industry, such as the case today. And sometimes we meet with leaders from outside the industry who have great insights that we can apply to sports and entertainment and live events. If you're a veteran listener of the show, thank you so much for coming back and listening. We've got another good episode in store for you. So this episode is a little bit of a throwback. Um, During the pandemic, we took the opportunity to work on a few of our systems and processes, and we rebuilt our website. In the process, we lost track of this episode, uh, but we dug it out and we're putting it out now. So we recorded this episode three months ago for posterity's sake, uh, back at the end of July. Fast forward to October, and now a lot of things have changed since we recorded, but much of the conversation remains super relevant. You can feel free to fast forward through the first minute of us talking about, oh, it's so great to have sports back. You can fast forward through all that and get into the really meaty stuff about two or three minutes in where we cover everything from NIL to auctions to really ultimately what we talked about in the very beginning of infusing that entrepreneurial spirit into a sports entertainment and live events organization. Um, So our guest today is Brandon Steiner, and he's been in the sports marketing business longer than I've been alive, literally. Uh, Brandon was the founder and former CEO of Steiner Sports, which is now owned by Fanatics. All right. For some background on Steiner Sports and Brandon, uh, Steiner Sports started out as an effort really to to pair up athletes with businesses trying to attract customers. Classic sports marketing. Before long, though, the company got into what Brandon is primarily known for, the memorabilia space. Back in 2005, Brandon partnered with the Yankees to create Yankee Steiner Collectibles, where Brandon had the rights to license and market a wide variety of game-used items from bats to bases, balls, you name it. Uh, From there, he built similar deals with national brands like the Cowboys, Notre Dame, Madison Square Garden, the list goes on. Over the course of his career, he built a memorabilia empire creating relationships with thousands of athletes and helping fans get their hands on exclusive items and experiences. Steiner Sports is now owned by Fanatics, and Brandon is in a new journey. All right, so what is Brandon doing today? Brandon is currently the founder and CEO of Collectible Exchange and the Steiner Agency. We're going to talk about both of those ventures, among other things. Like I mentioned earlier, we take a couple minutes to get going, but pretty quickly, we jump into a ton of different topics. The biggest themes of the episode really revolve around entrepreneurship and how sports and entertainment organizations can ultimately become more entrepreneurial, which is incredibly important right now in this time of the pandemic where everybody's reinventing and innovation is key. Brandon is in his 60s now and starting a second career, he knows a little bit about reinventing himself. Uh, He takes a lot of time to make sure and stress that it's never too late for an organization or an individual to learn new skills and start new journeys. 
We talk about lessons learned from his parents and we dive into customer service lessons that he's picked up from serving millions and millions of customers over the years. All right, enough preamble. Let's jump into this conversation with Brandon Steiner. Brandon, welcome to the show. Oh, great to be here. You know, beautiful day. Looking forward to some sports coming back up and around. And I, I just have to say one thing, and that is thank you. You know, I really don't think that some of these sports teams that you know, some of the executives that have put together, God knows the effort, energy and costs to get these games up and running so we could have a distraction. Oh, um, is, and the players, you know, it's it really is. We, should, we, we all need to just stop for a minute and say thank you, because I know it's not going to solve the world problems, although they're dealing with the world problems. But it is a tremendous distraction that we're about to get ourselves into, which we desperately need. And uh, I really give I really give the teams, the owners, particularly the uh, management and players, a lot of credit for figuring out how to get these games going. So no thank question. You. I, I just, yeah. you know, it, any, anytime the start of a season happens, right? Everybody's going a million miles a minute trying to get ready. You're coming off an off season, whatever it might be. But I, I know from, from all the conversations we're in right now, people are working harder than ever to make sure that we can create a safe and comfortable environment for maybe it's just the players, but in some sports for the fans to come back to. Uh, I know the last couple of weekends, we've had some events with fans in them, some USL games, especially. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah. and st- I mean, it, it's been people have been working around the clock to make it happen. So, yeah, great, great way to start it. Thank you. Um, well, let, let's talk a little bit about what you've been up to uh, the last couple of months during this pandemic. Uh, you're, you're a man of many careers, many companies. Um, so talk to us about what you've been up to the last couple of months. Well, you know, my, the most, you know, to me, like serving and getting fans closer to the game has always like been my my always my the most fun thing I could do just because I used to be one of those kids all the way out on the bleachers. And it was just amazing if I could get that one thing or do that one thing or meet that one player. So, you know, I left Steiner, not with Steiner sports anymore. I started a new company, collectible exchange or cxstuff.com and also the Steiner agency. And very simply, it's, it's a much better version of eBay. So people can buy and sell. And then I'm creating these little stores with teams, leagues, I'm really focusing on a lot of non-traditional sports teams, schools, for them to be able to sell their stuff. Because the average fan probably doesn't want to buy something from Nebraska, but I know there's a lot of Nebraska fans that would. So, you know, we're locked in at some really nice little departmental uh, projects. Like we're just selling the Syracuse Dome, which I know maybe mm. the whole country doesn't want, but they're fanatical about that roof. It's been a big part of Syracuse was selling pieces of the dome and framing it and, and uh, making a lot of money for the school. I love the, the school development part, you know, coming up with really cool projects and helping schools raise money, which they desperately need with mm-hmm. some of the assets they have. They don't always think entrepreneurially like that. So I've been working with a bunch of schools on that. I'm working with UFC, doing all their collectibles now, which is a sport that I really didn't know a lot about. And now I love. I love the entrepreneurial spirit of the sport. And I really like the fighters. You know, the men and women are extremely humble. And I think that sport's got a big upside. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. Collectible exchange is a place where you can actually sell your stuff. Players can sell their stuff. Teams can sell their stuff. And it's a clean, focused platform. We offer verification, authentication on it. So this way, when you go to eBay, you're not sure if it's real. That's what I was just about to ask. We offer that authentication. And it's really important that we're kind of managing over this site to make sure that people are secure in what they're buying or selling. 
And uh, if people have a question about something they have, they can go on the site and say, you know, what is this worth? I can't believe how many people in the last four months, we've all gone home cleaning out our garages, cleaning out our basements. My wife's been killing me. She loves this these four months to get everything cleared out of the house. So I'm obviously a huge collector. So I've had to definitely go through. But I've heard from a lot of people that like, I, I guess the surprising thing is like, not that people have stuff, it's the amount that they have. Because they just don't realize, especially people in the sports business that have been in there for a while, you know, some of the execs that call me and say, Brandon, I've just got so much stuff. And they got to be a little low key in how they approach it and how they sell it. So we help them do that uh, with, you know, auctions and stuff. We just did an auction for Indy car racing where a whole bunch of uh, drivers and stuff donated experientially, raised over a hundred grand. So I just love the entrepreneurial of not working for such a big company anymore and now starting this new company. Like, I feel like I'm free to roam the cabin. You know, I feel like a little kid again. And I think that's the one thing I want to get across in this interview and that's conversations that it's never too late to start dreaming new, especially with the experience I have. People are always like writing off old people, but I feel (laughs) like I'm 20 with a 60 year old man's experience. And, uh, you know, I pop out of bed in the morning. I, I don't even want to go to sleep. I, I just want to, get, you know, just get at it. It's been fun. I've been having well, a lot of fun. We'll, we'll get into that here in a little bit, because I, I think on that note, we've got two, two older guys on our squad. Uh, we joke about it. They're, they're, we're, we've got people in every area code in the U.S. that work for engagement. And all the, all the old guys work on the East Coast. And so we always say all, all, the, all the wisdom, all the miles are on the East Coast. But to, to that point, I mean, I think pairing young people and old people together uh, from a business sense, you end up getting really good product because you combine kind of that energy no with question. that wisdom. And we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but a couple of things that you hit on that I, I want to unpack. I, I love that you guys are partnering with organizations like Syracuse Athletics to put out the dome and, and make that available to people. Similar to what you guys did uh, at Yankee Stadium. Notre uh, Dame. So it's, it's interesting because I think right now schools and athletic departments, uh, pro sports teams, everyone's having to be far more entrepreneurial than they've ever been before with this pandemic. I think everyone's now got to look at traditional revenue streams and say, how can we diversify those revenue streams? Because what if we can't have fans in the building for the next 24 months, right? Worst case scenario, but still, I mean, I think you got to be going through those exercises and say, how can we, how can we do that? So, so talk to us a little bit more about how you're partnering with some of those schools specifically. What's the revenue model? How does that work? Like while we're talking about that, it's like, this is where education drives me crazy. And then the word pivot, if I hear that word again, like (laughs) I know that people that are running successful businesses, they don't need a virus to understand the importance of pivoting and realigning and constantly be on the move. And you know the franchises that I'm talking about that are always looking to be first. They're not waiting to follow the leader. They want to be a leader. For me, I've always wanted to be that person in my category. So I think there's so many things you could do to answer your question, like particularly in high school and college, where you can go and take, I'm working on something with Syracuse, just to do some artwork on the dome. So we're actually able to print a photo on the dome and then we're going to do some artwork to tribute some of the greatest players that have played in the dome. Hmm. And then I'm going to go create a couple projects uh, with a couple different artists, just of the greatest Syracuse players, where we'll auction off the artwork and then we'll do a limited series. And that's kind of like, a, you know, people like I'm a Syracuse guy. 
I'm going to have my whole sports room filled with Syracuse stuff. I love Syracuse. So from a development standpoint, like I don't mind donating the money. I, I enjoy donating money to my school, but I think it's nice when, you know, you get the, the give back. So I'm, I'm working with ADs to try to create a special apparel that no one else gets that only the players wear for one game. And then if you donate a certain amount of money, you'll get that warm up jacket. You'll get one of the footballs used in one of the games and the special football is made just for that game. This way, we're not getting into the player thing. This is a lot of pressure on ADs and general managers about what's going on with the game use stuff in the player, which in one year, by the way, everything's going. I mean, the whole thing's getting blown up. And I can't wait because I've always been very sensitive about the player and not want to go on a campus, sign autographs for them or anything like that. That's a no-no. But now let the games begin. Because players are going to be doing pods. They're going to be doing autographs, selling their game used. So what I want to do is get the schools ready for that. Let them partner up with some of the big-name students to make some money with them. There's no reason why the schools can't make money with some of the big-name players and do a whole bunch of you know special autograph jerseys where maybe the player gets paid from the actual school or the alumni base. Yeah. And, they, and they, you know, that kind of thing. So. It's that we could we could have a whole another episode on yeah. on that topic, right? But and I think I think going down the rabbit hole because this is a long form interview. Um, it, I had always been against NIL, especially with the way that they pushed legislation through and they rushed it. And I'm like, I'm looking at all the dominoes down the line. That's always how we work. Is like, great. That's a in in hindsight, that decision makes sense. But let's look ten steps down the road. How do we how do we deal with all those things? Whether no matter where you stand on it, though, it's here. It it happened, and NIL is here, and we now need to look at that as organizations and say, okay, how can we make the best of this, and how can we take this and use it to our advantage, right? And so, I think what you guys are doing—that's great. That's the right way to do it. What I worry about is the schools with the bigger alumni, you know, some of the people that are running big companies, the men and women that I just go sign the quarterback for an endorsement deal, or I just do a pod and pay a player X. I think it's going to be the end of Division One as we know it. I, 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 I agree. I don't like having lived with a Division One player. I know it was many years ago, but I, I got a feel for it and working with a lot of players. How about all the other players? So you're going to get a bunch of players, mainly the stars, on maybe three or four sports, maybe. How about the other 60 kids on the football team who still don't have pizza money? That's my big problem. Like, I, I don't I, – I always wanted the players – I've always been bubbly about whether the players should get paid or not. I just want them to have money to travel home, to buy some food and be a normal student if they don't have the money on a Friday night like everyone else. Because it's very uh, discouraging. uh, And that's when a lot of players get in trouble. But it's interesting, again, what you're doing with the collectible exchange and the way that you're working with some of these schools now to do that. I think it provides a great opportunity for everybody to win. Fans, the student athletes, players, if it's on the pro side of things, and and the team itself. And all the players will get some money from that. That's yeah. It, it's it's a great way to it's a great way to do it. Yeah. So when you when you do a deal like that with Syracuse, where are you typically going in? Are you going in at the AD level and and working from that perspective? Or are you oh, going wow. in more through development? I, you know, I go to start at the AD level, and then I, I you know you always get pushed to the development area, and it's always hard at the beginning. I don't get frustrated because there's a lot people don't realize there's a lot of stuff on that AD's plate academically, politically speaking, and then the actual games he's managing, which on the bigger schools is a lot. So 
I always get pushed to the development person and we start breaking it down from a money standpoint. You know, our licensing standpoint is very key in all this. Mm-hmm. And I think CLC has done a good job of being that common denominator for most schools. And then some schools have their own licensing program. But I think the key is, and for me anyway, is I'm not looking to cookie cutter this. I have no interest in saying, oh, maybe I'm going to have 100 schools. and No, every school I really want to do something unique with. I don't want to. Because the fun is is the uniqueness. You got to go feel an Ohio State. You got to go feel UCLA Bruins. You got to feel you know what it means to be. Because if not, the stuff just doesn't come off authentic. And alums know if you know. So if you're not going to dig down onto Marshall Street, if you're not going to go and, and and really understand all the piggly wiggly stuff that goes on at a school, because that's the whole joy of it all, then you're going to miss it. And that's what I love getting into, which is why I'm no itch. And now I'm small enough that I could do the one here, one there, go mm-hmm. raise a lot of money for the school, have some fun, develop some products and, and move, move around to some schools that want to have some fun. They, I don't have to have 20 schools, 30 schools. On, on the pro side, are you going in more through the sponsorship, the corporate partnership teams? How are you working with some of the pro teams from that side of things? Mostly usually on the development person as well. And then sometimes it starts with, it will also involve sometimes the president of the team. Because yeah. when you get into the pro level, you are touching a bunch of things. You're touching players because you're taking their products. Mm-hmm. And that sometimes gets a little different. You're talking to an equipment manager. You sometimes will be dealing with community service. You'll be dealing with a marketing manager. So you really have to know your way around a professional team because every department will be affected when you even do a collectible deal. Like I remember with the Yankees. But one of the big things with me is that different than the college thing is I love, I think that teams are underutilizing uh, the collectibles and all these products to drive corporate sales. I think one of the hardest things in becoming a corporate sponsor of these teams, which I'm a big fan of, I see the value, but activation is really hard. Yeah. How do I get the world to know that I'm the, the official soft drink company of, of this team or that team and activation and getting, we call fan involvement is really critical. And companies spend tons of money trying to think about it, but what better way than giving them a piece of the game and getting them something that is really unique and unusual, that shows that you're on the inside of it. And without having to spend millions of dollars, let's say, on a player endorsement, which you may or may not be able to afford. So I love that aspect of it. And then also now it's a big revenue boost for teams, which is real. And it's here to yeah. stay, which is the premium tickets and the suites. You now have to deal with those people like VIPs, two Vs, by the way, v- VIP, because they want gifting. They want special stuff. They want to maybe be made feel special that, if I'm going to spend all this money on a suite or tickets, I want stuff. I want stuff to show that I can brag to everybody. That I'm I the only one that has this. Yeah. So I always work with the teams. By the way, I do this at the universities too, because now that's becoming a much bigger issue where you have premium seats that come with food and beverage and everything else. And I'm working on that premium item of cutting up a jersey or, or again, doing extra game used balls or practice balls with special logos on them and doing all those kinds of things. It's fun. I, I mean, look, for, for guys like you and I that like building and creating, uh, the unique stuff is much more fun than cookie cutter, rinse and repeat. Um, and, and I think ultimately uh, for the fans, they, yeah. they enjoy it more as like well. I'm, like um, I'm working with UFC right now. And, you know, this is a sport that I'm, you know, some of the sports that I'm about to get into, I'm just learning. 
I mean, I always everybody, you're such a big sports guy, whatever. I'm like, oh, they're all different. <laughs> I gotta tell you, man. I mean, it's eye opening, and even even some of the sports you think you know a lot about until you get on the inside. So I'm at a UFC fight, and behind the scenes, it's mind blowing. You know how organized and what's going on, and the intensity level. So you know, I'm learning about this this fight fan that's a, like a crossover of a heavyweight fight fan. This unique UFC fan. It's got a little bit of WWE in it. It's got a little hockey fan in it. The loyalist, like the hockey fan that's loyal that would sell his house so they could buy their season ticket. That's the hockey fan. So the UFC's got that. Like I cannot not have ESPN Plus. Like my life would be over if I don't have ESPN Plus. So you know, I'm, I'm you know, you got to engage in it. You got to feel it. You got to watch it. My wife's like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, We're "Watching some ESPN Plus tonight. Watch UFC." And I'm, so I'm trying to get to know the fighters that are from all over the world. Right. But what are you? So I love that now I've been able to reshuffle the cards. And I think that's really important in business. That is, there's what you know and there's what you don't know. And how do you know what you don't know? And I think it's just really important to surround yourself with people that are not in your business. Because the, 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 the direct road to mediocrity is when you hang out with people that do what you do. So if you're a general manager of a baseball team, and you hang out with other people just in baseball, executives and stuff like that. You're just going to be eating each other's soup. You got to go hang out with doctors, lawyers that are growing their businesses. Because a lot of these same ideas, I've had incredible ideas from doctors, lawyers, and vice versa. Because it's all kind of the same, but it's different ways of packaging it, different ways of looking at it. And a lot of times you're dealing with the same type of mentality and customer. And that's how it kind of... So I, I think like you've got to mix up your flock of who you're hanging out with that you trust. And then that's how you know what you don't know. And you can find out. Well, let, let's go a little bit deeper there. Um, we're talking about understanding the customer and delivering experiences for that customer. We're also talking about bringing in that outside, uh, those outside insights, which is what we try to do here on this show. Um, one of the guys that you and I talked about just before the 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 episode was Horst Schultz uh, from your time at, at Hyatt. Uh, so let's, let's talk a little bit more about kind of customer experience and, and where you learned from from him. Um, here, here's where I want to kind of go with this, right? In, in your career, you've had times where you were the guy delivering that customer service or that customer experience. You physically were doing it. But then you've had times where you've grown your company and now you're leading people that are actually the ones interacting one-on-one -on -one with the customer. So first and foremost, I, I want to ask you, are there any mental frameworks or mindsets or things that you've picked up from guys like Horst or other uh, stops in your career that have helped you physically be the one delivering that customer service? Any mental frameworks or models that help you deliver better service? Well, there's you no one question. One? Um, my mother was a businesswoman. And my second book, You Gotta Have Balls, was my mother's favorite line. When we go into a store, I'm six, seven years old, look at these people. They're not even paying it. God forbid they come over and help us. So, and I think that a lot of stadiums, and to credit of a lot of management, are doing a much better job because people are spending a lot of money and they don't want to, you know, they want that service. They want that help. But Harsh Schultz, he was a, was a wow guy. That was his word, wow. And he would go, this is us. This is us. This is Schmutz. No good. And, you know, he, he'd circle around a hotel, find one dash of dirt. This is schmutz. This is no good. And then when something was cool, this is wow. And wow stays in my mind to this day, 40 years later. And that's what I try to do with what I did at Steiner. And that's what I'm doing now in Collectible Exchange is the wow factor. Because anything else is really mediocre. Mediocre. You know, what am I going to do when someone opens up that box and go, wow. 
That's what I'm interested in. Like people are like, I, I don't know if you could do anything with this roof. Like, seriously? You, you, you're asking me what, like John Wildhack, I don't really know what you do with the roof, but think about it. Think about it. Are you kidding? I'm wow. I mean, I'm, I'm up five, six, seven, eight nights dreaming about what that dome really meant. Calling up every athlete that I know went to Syracuse. What does this mean? What is this? And then figuring out the product line. And then what happens? We put that product line out. We sell 3,000 pieces of roof the first day. Wow. And that's the wow factor. I didn't want to just, I could have just sold the pieces of the roof, put it in a hard plastic and made some money. But the wow factor. And that's what I loved about the Yankees. Like when I went to them and I wanted to sell off the old Yankee stadium and, and I did it with them. They're like, well, we'll sell them all. I said, no, no, I want to break this into hundreds of thousands of pieces. You, if you want to really respect your brand, like the way no one does like the Yankees do, then how are you just going to put this stadium to rest without giving its respect? I want to break this out into hundreds of thousands of pieces. I'm going to cut the foul pole up into thousands of pieces. I'm going to take the dugout roof, cut it into thousands of pieces. So somebody could buy that for 20 bucks. Am I going to sell Jeter's locker for a hundred grand? Yes. Am I going to go sell... Maybe the pitcher, the last pitching over for fortune, yes. But I'm also going to take the speakers around and have Michael Case sign them. I'm going to take the dugout locker lockers that weren't such a big deal, sell those for cheaper. So we sold hundreds of thousands of pieces, and it probably took four or five years to sell it all. But the difference was we did it with class. We did it with integrity, with authentication. We didn't make a lot of money, but we knew it was a big brand play because we showed the respect of what that stadium meant. If you want people to respect your stadium, and your field houses, then you have to respect. You have to show your own stadium the respect. And it comes in so many different ways. And I'm constantly going to different stadiums. It comes with the food, the quality of the souvenir. A lot of stadiums still to this day, you walk in and they're like, well, you're not gonna, if we sell your collectibles, Brandon, it's not going to be as profitable as the hats and T-shirts. Of course it's not. But do you want the wow? you want someone to come in like, wow, that's Derek Jeter's jersey? Or do you want something to show the typical hats, T-shirts? Because you can't have both. If you're brand building, then show the brand, the history of your sport, and show it throughout your arena. And you see it now in a lot of different stadiums, a couple spots where there's some really cool stuff. But I think you can't show it enough because people need to feel like when they're walking into your arena and stadium, like, wow, this is something I'm never going to forget. And that's what I try to that's what I try to do, get behind uh, when I'm working my magic with my little small category. I want to I want to impose that my will on that. So, so when you're, if I hear you right, right, when you're delivering it yourself and you're on those, those front lines, you're thinking about how can I deliver that wow moment, that, that thing that's unexpected that people didn't have, right? They expect the hats and the t-shirts. They might not expect the piece of the dome or, or what, whatever it might be. Um, and, and then treating them with respect. Those are some of the things yeah. that I... My guy's that I throwing out the broken hockey sticks. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. What, what are you doing? Well, these are broken. I'm like, no, we're going to make ice scrapers out of that. A hockey stick ice scraper. Imagine the guy who's a hockey fan pulls out in the winter his hockey stick with one of his favorite players. And it's that's the good stuff. As, as an aside there, even, you know, with one of our clients last year, we were we were going through some different things. And we found this space where there was a bunch of bags of gear that had been rained on. And so the staff was like, oh, we're going to we're going to toss that. And we're like, no, 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 no. Like you. You can toss some of that stuff, but a lot of that stuff, you've got charitable organizations, you sports organizations that you could go build goodwill with by giving them that logoed gear, right? That's still good. But exactly. um, so that I, I understand that from the frontline side of things, but 
in different parts of your career, you've led people who have then had to go deliver those wow moments that you've asked them to deliver. So what mental uh, models or frameworks do you have for inspiring your staff to go deliver those wow moments? Because I think it's, it's one thing to say, hey, go deliver a wow moment. But sometimes I know from my time at Disney leading people, telling someone to go the extra mile or go create that wow moment isn't always the easiest thing. So how do you, how did you think about inspiring your team to go deliver those wow moments? Cause I think it's a little different. Well, the first thing is, you know, you got to make sure it's okay uh, for your people to fail because some of these ideas are going to suck and, and, and they can be like, well, I don't know if that worked or not, but you know, you got to allow that and you got to laugh about it because not everything I've created has been a home run, so to speak. But I think the brainstorming session is so important. And if, you know, everything's usually about the numbers and I get it. Numbers matter. You can't manage what you can't measure. And you've got to make sure that you're focused on hitting numbers on a day to day, week to week basis. But you've got to incorporate time for people to think. Thinking is really hard work and you've got to applaud and, and, and motivate with some kind of appreciation when somebody comes up with a cool idea. You've got to. And, and, and especially I, I think sports is still in, in, in the nursery school end of things. That's how far it still has to go. And I think it's advanced incredibly. But when you look at a Jerry Jones and the stadium he created, and 10 of the stadiums that got created right before him, you wonder, like, are we really brainstorming? Are we really thinking everything through about all the possibilities? So my mindset is when somebody comes to me with a project, I get together with a bunch of people, and I'll say, what's the best possible thing that can happen here? I'm going to give you guys a two days to think about it. Let's meet on Thursday. Come to me with the best possible thing that can happen. And whoever comes up with the one idea that wins, I'm throwing $500 in. I'm throwing an extra day of vacation, whatever, in just to make it fun. But when you give people time to think and you challenge them and, and just put in that light, it's been very effective for me. Like I didn't come up with all the ideas of selling dirt, $50 million worth. Somebody came to me with a grass idea. We sold over a million dollars of grass and then went to Fenway, Wrigley, where we took the field of the last field of the Yankee State, and then we freeze-dried it. Now, somebody, somebody at the Yankees came in with that idea of the freeze-drying of grass, but meanwhile, we made a million dollars on freeze-drying grass. It's crazy. You, know, you want to set yourself up. And, and just one more thing to answer that question, which is important. As an executive, are you approachable? Because people come to me with ideas all the time, and what happens with a lot of executives is they start getting you know antsy about whose emails they're answering, and they start getting really, really uh, discriminatory about who they will talk to. But it's the knucklehead who maybe doesn't communicate all that great, who you, you got to randomly give some of these people some speaking clients and some time. And I will make time every week to take random emails and calls with people that never would think they could even talk to me and hear what they got to say. And it's not a win every time. Sometimes it's, it's, a, it's a very dreadful, oh my God, but it's amazing some of the ideas I've gotten from some of the random fans that are avid collectors, especially with my new company. I see, I always thought I was the ultimate collector. I was this genius. I didn't think I was a genius for too long though, but I can't believe the stuff that's coming in through my office that people from all over the country are now putting up that are just far greater than a lot of the stuff I've ever created. So I think there's like what you know and what you think you know, and then there's what you don't know. And I yep. think it's really important sometimes to add some time in realizing that you don't know a lot and you got to make sure how are you going to go get that info? So the two, two key, key things I heard there, right. Is, is one being approachable. 
as, a, as an executive, making sure that people can come in and provide those ideas. Uh, that, that was something, you know, we took seriously at Disney. It was, uh, you know, we had this, this, this culture of you asked, we listened. And so there was a, there's a internal newsletter called eyes and ears. And when employees would give suggestions, we would come back and say, Hey, here's, here's some of the things that you guys asked about. Here's what happened with that idea. It went forward and it was a big hit. And now we're building an attraction from it. Or it was, Hey, we ran through a couple of feasibility things on it. Just wasn't, didn't pan out. Here's why it didn't pan out. But I think when people come to you with ideas, your team members come with, to you with ideas that to deliver that wow moment, you've got to give them feedback as to what's happening with that idea. You can't just let it sit or they'll never come to you with an idea again. That's hundred percent true. And I think you get so busy. You don't leave yourself time to become more busy. If you're really, really busy yeah. and there's no time to really be busier yet, you want growth, but you're so busy. I, people call me, I pray, I know you're busy. First of all, you don't know that I'm busy. I haven't said that I'm busy. <laughs> so I'm not sure why you think I'm busy. Of course I'm busy because you wouldn't call me if I wasn't busy. People want to do business with people that are busy, but I always right. got time for you. And, you know, it, 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 and back to your point, I think you got to follow up. I think the fortune's in the follow up. And it's really nice when you hear from a general manager or it's nice when you hear from a VP who you know are busy and they reach out. Like you'll see me at different games. I sit in all different areas. I walk an entire stadium every time I go to a game. I look through every souvenir stand, think about if I'm missing something. I want to see what people are wearing. I want to see kind of the general gist of the conversation. I'm looking for blends of ages. Now, you could survey that. I'm just not a big survey guy. No, go out and look and see. You know, if they were surveying, you know, they, they sur surveyed you back 100 years ago, we, you know, what's a better, what should we do with this horse and buggy? They'd say we want a more yeah. comfortable carriage. Like we, we didn't even have our automobile at this point. So it's like, go out and see. And I love once in a while when I see executives that are sitting with fans, I try to sit amongst fans, all different sections, as much as I can. And I'm just listening. I got my ear to, you know, what, what people are grinding about, excited about. Because it all goes into the wow. You got to have some of that, 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 that knowledge, which is a pain in the butt, frankly, because you're putting a lot of time in that you may not be getting a real return. But return on interaction is almost as important these days as return on investment. And I look at that return on interaction. It helps me get my brain feeling like I know what the hell I'm, I'm talking about. Yeah, it, it's it's a great point. I mean, on, on return and interaction. I mean, look, if we're if you're not lis listening as an executive, is, is probably one of your number one things because ultimately you've got to take what you're hearing, and then you're the one that makes it a business decision, right? You're not you're not giving you're not teeing it up to let fans make the business decision, but you've got to understand what their pain points are, what their what makes them happy, what their stereotypes, emotions are, and then you go and make those decisions. Yeah, if I see if I see another executive. Talk to me about how important their brand is, but then they let a, a, a bootleg company that outbids the best company. To me, I always know when I go to a stadium and I see the sponsors, if I'm not seeing 90% of the sponsors, the best in category in that particular area, then I know that they're just talking the talk. They're not walking yeah. in. You go into a stadium, and you know, you got the best in category, even though it's a small little sign, you barely can see down the right field line or some sign, whatever. If it's not best in category, that's all you should be shooting for. I, I just want to hang out with the best people. I want to hang out with the best athletes. I want to deal with the best teams, the best schools. Because I'll come up with the best ideas with the best people, the yeah. best schools, the best teams. But then I see teams 
that have these bootleg companies and they're not bad, but they're nowhere near the quality of company you should be associated with. So, you know, I think it's really important to think about who you're hanging out with, not just be bottom line money driven, because I think it's a, it's another road to mediocrity. Yep. Well, I, I want to hit on one more thing that yeah. you a recap, one more thing that you hit on, which was as an executive leading a team of people uh, in order to get them to deliver wow moments, you've got to allow for them to have failure uh, and create ideas that that fail. Uh, one, one of the guys, we actually had him on, on the show earlier this year, uh, Jesse Cole. Uh, he, I don't know. Do you know Jesse? He's uh-huh. the he's the owner of Savannah Bananas. Oh, wow. Do, do you, they're they're a, a really small summer league baseball team. You should you should look them up. He's he's incredible. Uh, but he he made this this post on LinkedIn this week that was talking about uh, a promotion that they did where they had little kids running around or racing on the field uh, with horse heads on, like dressed as horses. And he goes after about five minutes of the kids just crawling around the outfield, getting lost. He's like, we got a baseball game to start. And the kids were nowhere near finishing. He's like, the promotion couldn't have couldn't have gone worse. Uh, he's, but he put it on LinkedIn for everybody to see. And he said, but we're taking our team and, and we're asking them, all right, good idea. In theory, what else can we do to make it better? And I know what else is something that you got, you talk a lot about. Um, so talk to us a little bit about this concept behind well, what else. Let's think about what else times what's next is first to market. So, you know, what else, what's next? Your first idea is never your best idea. And a lot of times you come up with a good idea and it works. And don't let that success become a deterrent for going further. Like I've seen bobbleheads become successful with a giveaway day. That's great. But you could go further with that. You can get into more detail on those bobbles. You can come up with slightly even more limited you can somehow feed in autograph versions of the bobbles so it becomes even more exciting. So, you know, one out of every 50 bobbles could be an autograph one by a player. I mean, there's so many different ways to do it. Or you can get this real, real limited edition out of 20,000. There's only 100 of these that are made with a special gold edition with an autograph. And get the, but you got to understand from a collectability how that works. What I always say about this, and this is my, my management method on this, is that you don't be SOS. Don't be stuck on stupid. Sometimes Mm. your idea sucks. Sometimes your idea is just not that good. Sometimes you just, it sounded good. It felt good, but it wasn't. And SOS is don't be stuck on stupid. So I always say dream big, sample small, and fail quick. Dream huge. And and you got to promote dreaming. Promote dreaming. Promote the most outrageous ideas. People come to me with outrageous ideas. Instead of blowing them off, I do go back and say, you know something? I got to tell you, that's an outrageous idea. I'm going to sample that. Even my own ideas sometimes, but I got a sample now. I'm a sampler. So I'll go in and I'm going to ask a group of people. And then I'm not afraid now to get the hell out of the bank. Just walk out, get away. It didn't work. Well, I mean, honestly, that's so we we do use a lot of design thinking and uh, principles into what we do. And as we're working on customer experience and, you know, it's brainstorming one on one, putting some of those constraints on it where we'll sometimes when we're doing it, we'll say, hey, you've got it. One of the ideas that you come up with in this five minutes of silence where you're putting on post-it notes, all your ideas, uh, you've got to have one idea that's going to get you fired if you suggest it. And you put those heavy constraints and now people are writing down ridiculous ideas. 
And you're not going to execute that ridiculous idea, but there's a nugget of something in that idea that people can build on and say, okay, well, what else can we do yeah. to, to alter that and, and make it into something? My mom um, was so, a big so, what so, else. My mom right. was a huge what else person, you know, walking to a store. What else? Look at that sign. You know, can you believe the way those cold cuts are being presented or that kind of thing? I, I think also what, what, I, what I've known and I got this out of the restaurant business is don't be afraid to go like to your server's your concessionaires, your hourly employees. I always went to my warehouse people and constantly make myself available because they gave me some of my best ideas. People in the warehouse, like even at these stadiums, you, know, you go and you get to your warehouse and, and somebody say, do you know this is the number one selling? Do you have any idea how many of these we sell? All I do is just bring these in, bring these in. Because maybe that's the idea you take and say, maybe we got to do something around a giveaway day on that. Or maybe we got maybe that's the item we use for the premium item to give to our super, super, super VIPs. So I think don't short yourself. I think it's so important to realize, and I, I can't tell you how many coaches have said this, that, and Sh- Coach Krzyzewski is notorious for this, that everyone's important. Give everyone a little love and respect. You'd be surprised at ideas and feedback you can get from the busboy in the, oh, in no the wedding restaurant and in, in, in the VIP restaurant. You don't think the servers and people get all the feedback from them? They're the ones who, you know, who do, who do yeah. you tell when you're upset about something? You tell your server. Or, you know, just the usher in the, in, in the stadium, that kind of thing, security. You got to give yourself those opportunities to talk to your whole staffs. It's hard when you're running a big team like that because it used to be like teams would have employees of, you know, maybe 50 or 100 people. Now you're running a, an organization, you got four or 500 people potentially between serving the people, selling tickets and everything else. You've got to really make yourself available. And, and those are the people that are hearing the customer complaints and you know, they're sitting there hearing that complaint thinking there's a better way to do this. They, they've got the ideas. You just, you got to tap in. Yeah. Um, well, let's, let's shift to another question here. Uh, what, what's something that over this pandemic, the last, you know, four months or so, what's something in the world of customer experience that has surprised you over the last couple of months? What surprised me is people's inability to, to adjust. Some of the, I mean, they become exposed. Mm-hmm of how poorly they represent themselves online and uh, especially small businesses, which is very, really scary to me. You know, 750,000 small businesses went out of business last year. Only 600,000 opened up. That's before the virus. So, you know, we're, this, this country needs to really start educating and getting behind small business and giving small business the benefit of the doubt because small, small business matters. It's critical in this country from an entrepreneurial standpoint, ingenuity, everything else. So, you know, I go in a restaurant. I mean, obviously, we can't go eat in a restaurant. So, what do you do? You go to the website to order, and the, you need a you need a microscope to read it. And then the person who answers the phone doesn't even know the menu. And then the, the menu is just not set up for a family of four or five to order. I mean, things like that. I, I just, you know, I think everyone sees the writing on the wall. They know the storm's coming. They know what needs to be done, but they don't think it pertains to them. And that's what's been eye opening for me is people's inability to adjust. Uh, not only now, but how they had to even adjust when you even get to this point. Uh, because I think there's a really good eye opener as far as the people's, what people really want. And, and service is one of them, by the way. Well, as we, as we think about adjusting um, to the, t- the changing times, if you will, obviously, you've had a number of different careers and companies and you've adjusted a number of times uh, in your career. What are, what are some of the tools or, or mental frameworks? I'm going back to this uh, that have helped you been able to successfully adjust uh, throughout your career. 
Well, I think one of the most important things is it doesn't really matter what you think. First of all, it doesn't really matter where you are. What matters is what you're willing to accept and not accept. And once you get clear about what you're willing to accept and not accept, you need to make sure that your organization and people working for you really know that you're emphatic about what you're not willing to accept anymore. But what I realized, though, is that you're so focused on getting your customers or fans to change with what you what direction you want to go, but nothing's going to happen. And the hardest thing to make happen is getting your own people to really fully understand the change. So what I've learned is not about telling my people, we're doing this, we're doing that. But I ask my people that I'm thinking about doing this and that. And then only until they all come to me and say, I agree with you. And I understand because all your people will nod. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they go, well, I don't really agree with them. I don't think the guy knows what he's talking about. He's just getting old. He doesn't know. And then the message ultimately is gets transferred out to the fan base, customer base, and you lose. So when I come out with a change, the first thing I want to do is I want to get the leaders in my company all set up. And I want to make sure they clearly say, Brandon, I agree. And I understand what we're trying to do here. So that the message gets passed down. Because a lot of times you're thinking about the hurdles you got to climb to get the fan base and customer base to it kind of absorbing the change you're trying to do. And the hardest part is getting your own people to change. If you talk to most CEOs, they'll tell you the hardest thing about change is not the customers. It's your own people. Yeah. Because they, they all of a sudden, they, they think they know better. They think they know more. And, 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 and ultimately, they'll crush you up. Uh, this, is, this is something I keep um, str- not struggling with, uh, but I would, I would say it's something that's been heavy on my mind the last couple months is uh, everything that we do when we're working with clients tends to be super collaborative, right? Uh, from, from your perspective, right? Getting yeah. that buy-in from the beginning. I easily could go in and create some of these key customer experience or employee experience changes. But ultimately, if the employees aren't bought in and they aren't the ones creating it, then it's not going to stick. So we've got a heavy process where we we get all that buy-in and they're the ones creating it. Um, but but I struggle with that because in times of crisis, like right now, like that, that's great to do during peacetime. It's great to do when things are going well and you're the market leader. But when you're on the edge of survival and you got to move fast, I mean, how do, you, how do you do that? I mean, how do you continue to get your staff's buy-in and get them agreeing all on the same page it's when ultimately hard. you're trying to move fast. It's incredibly hard, but you know, don't, you don't want to be complaining. You want to be explaining, move away from the complaining when things get rough because everyone's feeling the roughness. And one of my big things with my staff over this period was when the waters get rough, the sharks keep swimming. Are we sharks? Are we going to have the kind of toughness and resilience that a shark has? Are we going to be like kind of a little goldfish and end up on the shore and be dead and just because this got too hard and it's got too tough. Because I always tell my people, we were made for these things. You know, business is never going to be a straight, a straight line. It's never going to be a nice little 75 degree with no clouds. And it's just, it's just, there's just sort of days are further and further few between. But you got to, I think what's really important as a manager is I set my people up for the difficulty way before difficulty comes. When I hire them, I tell them how difficult this business is. There are going to be difficult times. So when we run into the difficulty, they're not so overwhelmed and surprised. I told you it was going to be a bitch. I told you it was going to be difficult. I told you. It was, I told you. Now, the more people understand the high level of difficulty that really good, smart businesses are going to endure, when you run into those things, the people aren't going to be as flipped out. When you get into this virus, as much as there was a crisis and we had to move quick, you still got to do more explaining than complaining. You still got to have the empathy and sympathy because people are going home and common sense doesn't become common practice. It just doesn't. 
And people, their minds just start going crazy. Instead of doing the smart thing, you know, they got caught up in the TV and their minds start drifting. You know, maybe this world's coming to an end. So you have to spend the time to walk your people off the ledge. And it's very time consuming before you get out to your agenda. Uh, Wonderfully put. Um, We're going to start to kind of get towards the end here. Uh, A couple of different questions that I'm I'm thinking about. I, I love this stuff. I mean, I studied it. So all I ever wanted to do is, is I, I, love, it, I love it. it um, it's where the rubber meets the road. I mean, no matter how great your product is, ultimately, if you're going to be able to sustain a, a culture that continues to innovate, that this is, it's, it's where the hard pieces are. It's everything. As, as we see the, the world kind of moving faster and faster and changing, like we're talking about, um, I would ask you you've, again, you've had a number of different careers, number of different uh, changes in, in your life. What's something that you believe to be true at one point and you've changed your mind on recently? Something that for you is like, yes, this is a truth. This is how it is. But recently you've said, I don't know if that's the case anymore. Well, I always thought that, you know, there's plenty of employees. And if this one doesn't work and now it doesn't work. I mean, talent acquisition is just so important. Um, and don't be afraid now. I used to not be that big on young kids coming right out of school, but now I'm a bigger and bigger fan of it. Mm. And I, I, I feel like that because they're smart and they just do stuff and they know. I, I think I value, to me, I look at value. Value is what you could do for someone that they can't do for themselves. When I look at younger kids, particularly in their late teens and early 20s, they could just do a lot of things that I'm just never going to be able to do, period. They lack some experience, and if they're coachable to some of the grievous, I don't want to coach them too much. There's a ton you can learn from them. I, I think the younger kids are underestimating their own value at this point. And I think they may be a little flipped out by this environment, but they're the ones who really are the ones going to be the saviors. I, I'm a big fan of combinations of, like, I always tell people, like, my CMO prospect, I don't do anything unless I talk to a 20-something-year-old from a marketing standpoint. Oh, Brandy, you're such a marketer. I'm like, and I have some really good views on marketing because my mother was an incredible marketer. And all we did since the minute I was born, talk about marketing. But I'm 60. It's been a long time since I've been 20 or 30. And I make sure that I run all my ideas by 20-something and 30-something-year-olds and get a nice mixture to, to create the best soup with my marketing ideas. And so this way, I go back and forth on them. I, listen, I'm still a big fan of telling rather than texting. I still think you should call rather than text. And I argue with my uh, my employees all the time. And they're right. You probably should be texting a lot. But, you know, just work in a few calls. Reach out and touch some people. I think there's a combination of that to be had. And that's like a typical example. But I think that um, I think that the younger audience these days is a critical one. And we got to get really behind and positive about it. Because what they can show us, what they add into a business, not many people can. Yeah, it, it's interesting too. I think, like, in addition to the mindset being different and the understanding of how the, the massive difference between how maybe a boomer consumes something or the channels that they consume something versus uh, a Gen Z, the, the gaps are, are, are really different in the way that they communicate for sure. And so I think you have to tap into that. But I think something else that, that aids that shifted belief of yours. Um, is to me, the younger kids coming out because of the ability to just YouTube anything, how to do this, how to build a website, how to do whatever. The, 
the speed at which they've learned skills is far faster than than anybody in, in generations before, right? Um, it, it used to be you you had to have that real life experience, you know, years of of doing it at a corporation to learn how to build that website. Whereas now, it's like a kid can learn it overnight on, on YouTube. Um, and, and so, I think technology has just allowed us to learn faster and learn a broader depth of things. So I think that's probably aiding in, in that shift as well. There's no question. I mean, it's amazing. I keep, I have five kids, at least maybe even six or seven that mentor me on a regular basis. And I reverse mm, them. I mentor you. Back. And I mentor them back, yeah. Mm. And I met them all when they were 15, 16 years old. I just can't believe the amount of kids I see now that are starting their own businesses and making money and doing all kinds of stuff. Because when I was a kid, I was doing that. I was making money at 10. I was an odd kid. I was like a weird kid considered. Now you see kids, you know, they go home, they're working somewhere in their basement, making all kinds of money. It's crazy. So and, and I respect it. I appreciate it. And we need it. You know, we need entrepreneurism in this. I don't pitch that everyone should go out and start their own company. What I it's, would, not, it's not for the light of the... It's the, really not for everyone. But what, it's I not for everyone. what I pitch executives a lot is create an entrepreneurial spirit as part of your company. And what happens with big companies is it works the opposite, where you can't do anything. And if you do come up with an idea, by the time the idea gets up the ladder, it's, it's dried up and dead. So you got to have an entrepreneur. I, I always tell employees, like, you don't have to start your own company. you got to make one sale to your boss that you can have some entrepreneurism here in, the, in your division. And you can try some new things. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think that's my one message is, like, I really try to, really try to empower my people to come up with the best idea they can. And I'll, I'll run with their idea. It doesn't have to be mine. Well, uh, last question here as we, we head into the home stretch. Um, you know, we, before the podcast, we talked about your kind of next phase and, and you, you had a point where you said, Hey, this is, this is a moment for me. Do I decide to, to hang it up? Like some of my peers have, or do I decide to roll up my sleeves and build again? And so as you've grown and you're entering this new phase of your career, uh, first of all, how did you make that decision? But then bigger than that, that'll buy you a little bit of time to say, what do you really want to be remembered for? I'll tell you, man, you know, first of all, you know, I've written over 3000 blogs. I've written three books. And one of the things when I woke up one day, I said, Brandon, you've been talking this talk, you know, the energy, the wow, the now you're on the spotlight. Now you're on the stage. What do you got? You've been kicked. You've been down. You're going to hang it up. You've made a lot of money or do you want to keep going? I wanted to keep going. And I just forgot how hard it is. And I said, it's hard, you know? And I went home one day to my wife. I said, man, this is hard. Like, I hope, I, I don't know if I, because I always say, it's not your idea that's going to win. You got to have the mental stamina to be able to go through the processes, the learning processes to get with your, your new idea to get it to work. And some of it's back end, some of it's front end. And it takes a huge amount of mental toughness and strength to get through the ups and downs because people are going to reject you at the beginning. Not everybody just jumped on my bandwagon. So I'm really excited about being 60 and feeling like I'm 20 again and feeling like I've got more ideas that, you know, because my company got almost too big where I lost some of my own entrepreneurism, which is sad really to hear. But a lot of people go through it. And now I've reinvented myself to be able to bring those ideas back to the front. You know, as far as being remembered, I don't know. I think you got to ask, you know, my customers, my fans. I think the best thing that. What, what do you want to be remembered for? I think I guess, being a guy who cared, you know, cared about, you know, I care about the, my customers more than anybody. 
and gave them something that nobody else was even thinking about. Um, I like to think that the athletes realized that I took something that was probably getting away from them and showed them how to make a whole bunch of money at the same time, get them closer to the fans. My ultimate goal is get fans closer to the game. I was all the way out in left field. I'm like, how do I get closer to that game? How do I get on that field? So I want to do everything I can because I know it's important to people and that has a profound impact. So I think the most important thing for me is when I left Steiner that I probably got four or 500 emails, which is a lot of letters and emails thanking me. I'm like, thanking me? I should be thanking you. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I've just never sent the CEO of a company after they retired or left the company thanking them for all the work they did. And here I am getting email after email of people thanking me for the impact I had on their charity, the impact I had on something I did for their kid. You know, every time I meet a kid at a game, I, I say, where's your parent? I said, if this child's grades improve, I need you to send me an email. I'm going to send them a box of stuff. And, you know, when you're eight years old, you get a box of like signed stuff and this and that. Like, you remember that. But now, 20 years later, those are adults now. And that's what I love, you know, hearing from those kids and all those people. Because you forget, you get so busy, you're moving on. And all of a sudden, you, you hear, you get a letter from a 20 year old that said, you know, 12 years ago, I was having trouble with my dad. I ran into you at a game. You introduced me to a player because we were there for batting practice. Then you sent me a box of stuff. Like that's the stuff. I just, you know, I, you know, it matters to me what people think about what I was doing and what kind of person I am. And, you know, I care. I, I want to make, I wanted to make a little bit of a difference. I want to be a little bit of a disruptor. So I hope that people think of that. I love it. Well, that's a great way to wrap us up. Uh, Brandon, where can people reach you or follow along your journey? Um, if they, if they want to stay in touch and uh, hear more. Well, first, if you want any of my three books, they're free through August 15th. Just go to Collectible Exchange. And you can order the book. It's free. And then I'm a LinkedIn guy. I love LinkedIn. So you, if you follow me on LinkedIn, um, I answer all the messages. And I love LinkedIn. It's a great way of communicating. And then it's BrandonSteiner.com. If you, you want to see any of the blogs, I have these little miniature stuff. They're great for reposting for your employees and stuff. You know, I write with a lot of that stuff in mind because it is hard. Like, Listen, I can tell my employees one thing a hundred times. You come into my office, tell the same thing with a little different message and I think you're God. So, um, you know, I'm a big fan of swapping a lot of different ideas and stories with different people so that you get the message home. Beautiful. Uh, we will put all of those links in the show notes uh, for anyone listening. So if you want to, if you want to find them, so if you, you don't have to hit rewind five times and write all those things down, we'll put them in the show notes for you to, to follow along. Brandon, thanks so much. Been a pleasure. pleasure. Look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. Look forward to it too. Great. Thanks a lot, man. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, before you head out, just wanted to say thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. That helps more of your peers find the show as they search for ways to get better in their own roles. But this podcast is just a small part of what we do at Engagement. In our normal day in the office, we're crazy focused on helping athletic departments and sports and entertainment companies generate more revenue by becoming more customer-centric. To see how we might be able to help your organization, visit engagementpartners.com to learn more. Download a free guide, check out our blogs and case studies, or schedule a call with us if you want to see how we can help with your particular objectives. Our goal is to help you create deeper connections with fans and generate more revenue. So when you're with us, hopefully you find a nugget or two that helps your cause.